Welcome to Black Insight, the global news and current affairs podcast about black people by black people. I'm Sonia Fode. Um, I am Jude Faromi Kolawoli Adejuan. Friends call me JFK. Uh, I'm co-convener for Raising New Voices Initiative, which focuses a lot on helping to raise a different generation of leaders, uh, political leaders for our country. Um, we, we absolutely believe that the, the problem with Nigeria is mostly leadership, uh, the quality and the caliber of leaders that we have, uh, and uh, the, the kind of leaders that have the political will to design institutions for our country in a way that you know, we, we want to march forward towards that ideal towards the Nigeria of our dreams, as it were. Uh, we think those leaders do not exist, or they exist in very, very minute quantity in our country, and that there's a lot of lamentations about uh, how we don't have good leaders and how we don't have good leaders and how we need good leaders. And it doesn't seem as though uh, there's a lot of activity in uh, raising those leaders, which is why we then set up raising new voices. Um, I also run uh, an innovation policy firm, Founding Networks, uh, which largely just focuses on innovation policy uh, consulting for companies and for government officials and departments and agencies. Uh, so we work a lot with volunteers across the country, work a lot with lots of passionate young people um, at raising new voices to deploy our programs. And our fellowships and all the all the programs that we designed to to move the needle forward on how can we get more competent leaders in power? My name is uh, Marshala Abdullahi. I'm based in Abuja. Uh, I'm a global shaper with Abuja Hub. Uh, I work with Human Angle, a media company that that. Uh, tells the stories of victims of conflict and security and also helps people to understand the dynamics and the trends uh, behind the security and conflict uh, in Nigeria and other parts of the Sahel. I also spoke to SARSwatch. They prefer to remain anonymous. People are always tweeting um, SARS uh, uh, whereabouts sporadically. Do you get so like, I mean, I see them before I create a channel, like I see them, I see the I see the tweets and then people retweet and then it goes viral. Maybe someone else will not make a video, like just little pockets of tweets here and then I'm like someone can actually take it up and put themselves to just tweet where they are all day. So like before you go out or you're on the road you can just oh what's up? Let me just scroll through this tail and then see where they are today so I can avoid getting shot or getting robbed or getting uh, extorted from so that's yeah so that's why I created it and then October 2 I was scrolling on Twitter and then I saw an account the account is sas underscore is underscore here like sas is here and I'm like wow his own tweet was to raise awareness about related like the same thing but like a different name and i'm like this is exactly what i wanted to do and the page was created on october 1 so october 2 i'm like cool let me join this guy and i create my own sales water then i dm him that what's up like good job you're doing and then uh we both started to tweet start sad stuff to october 3 then his page or no it's about october 5 or 4 then the guy's page starts is here now got suspended and he couldn't get it back so that's why i'm still here but that guy i don't know his name i had never even met him but that guy was like the major uh give me more boost that's what i'll say when i saw him do it i'm like great so let's just do it so let me just do my own so so his page went down in two days i don't know i don't know what happened but he lost the page you get so big ups to that guy wherever he is man don't know SAS means special anti-robbery squad and they are, the reason why they were formed and 
The reason why they were formed was is basically to fight against armed robbery in Nigeria. And they've been around for quite a while actually. I can't say specifically the year, but I know they've been around for more than 10 years. One or 15 if possible, yeah. But I think in, in recent years, maybe in the last five, six years, they became more popular because of the things they do and how they operate. Yeah, I follow up the Abuja protests really tightly uh, because I was I was able to visit uh, uh, the protest ground multiple times, and I also wrote uh, some other times about the Lagos protests because those were the two major protest uh, grants. Uh, so it was really an unprecedented protest by Nigeria young Nigerians against police brutality. Uh, it happened because a lot of people felt and uh, felt really angry about the system uh, and they needed to speak and that's why one of the famous uh, uh, face from the protest was so which means to speak up I cannot stop people really wanted to speak up because they were fed up uh, over the years they have been talking about the, the police brutality especially that by the and be squad on on social media and other uh, on other platforms uh, and nothing really changed and so they felt really this was a time to really get things to change and one other aspect of everything was that people really saw themselves in the victim's shoes. So people could see that this victim, I could have been this victim. Uh, this was just a young person uh, driving. This was just a young person doing his normal thing. On everybody's lips, sass, sass. Okay. Um, I, I think this, the special robbery squad, uh, from the information that we have, was set up during President, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, President Mabangida's tenure, who was then the head of state, the military head of state, um, to tackle robberies and crimes that had to do with ammunitions and armed robbers uh, who, were, who were really a menace during that time. Uh, what they have become is, is an antithesis of their mandate, which is to, uh, you know, solve or prevent or um, arrest criminals who used her arms to, you know, intimidate people, to kill people, citizens. Uh, I mean, uh, and what what they've become, which is what we then saw as a, as a response with the Hensas protest was exactly what they, they claimed to, or what the original mandate was. The average SAS experience that you hear involves people wearing uniforms, um, or even in most times not wearing uniforms, uh, using the power that they have because they carry guns to intimidate people, to arrest people, to kill people, uh, to extort young Nigerians, most importantly. Um, and that was exactly what the, I mean, SARS was created to solve. They don't really have an operation because they're not doing their job to start with, to be honest. They are not doing their jobs. Their job is to fight armed robbery, armed robbers or whatever. Then they said it's not to fight against um, online crime, that's fraudsters or yao yao boys, as you might know them, or G boys or whatever. Fine. Good. Nobody likes crime. Nobody likes uh, what's it called fraud or defrauding people. Yes, good and fine, but they are not doing that. They are not doing either. They're not either. They're not stopping Amrabi. They're not fighting against um, Yahoo Yahoo boys or whatever. What they are doing is extorting innocent Nigerians on the road. So I think what will change with the way they operate is to death to for starters take them off the road. That's that's they shouldn't be doing road search or stop and search or whatever they shouldn't be on the road they should give them tech uh, it or they should support them with like technical um, technology and stuff because i mean to find them about you definitely need to have like databases and intel and whatnot and operations and covert whatnot i mean we watch movies now we see how it's being done in uk and in america and whatnot it's not by standing on the road or driving on the road and stopping people on the road you want to catch them about no like you need to have like plans, you need to like train them properly, you know, like um yeah. 
So like they need to leave the road. That's they need to first of all leave the road. And apparently they they don't even hire graduates. So I mean they hire what? Secondary school leavers who have been frustrated with life and then you put them in Amrabi's <laughs> corner, give them guns, give them life bullets, say go, give them black I mean like this like this this is where it even starts from recruitment. You get training, recruitment 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 and training. We all saw the joke of the SWAT training they tried to do. They were dancing. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the video, but like, we knew they said they had changed from SARS to SWAT. You get so, like, when they now showed us SWAT training, it was very funny because I'm like, these guys have pot bellies and are showing us, and are showing us that they are doing karate or something. They're not even fit. So, so like, <laughs> so, like, they should just try and stop making a comedy of everything and then just do the right thing. They stop, they should just stop, they should stop um, embarrassing us. Women have also been abused and arrested for so-called indecent clothing. African women have been fighting against misogyny for so long. One activist had her passport confiscated because she offered legal aid to those arrested during the protests. The website of the Feminist Coalition was also blocked inside Nigeria, and it is not clear who was responsible. Has there been a generational divide when it comes to this SARS issue? There is a generation of our parents who think that you shouldn't risk your life and go to a protest and go and fight against people who um, could literally kill you and nothing will happen. And that happened. Yeah. We must we must be sure that we must be sure to reiterate that. Uh, when you look at the Nekki shootings and the soldiers killing people, um, it's evidence for the older generation to say, "We told you um, these guys are going to kill you, and nothing is going to happen." Uh, and that caution. That caution, or uh, yeah, I would call it caution, from from the part of some some members of the whole generation, uh, is is very prominent in saying, you know what, let's let just let the status quo remain, um, uh, and don't ruffle or don't uh, don't scatter the word. I think I'm using the word. I think ruffle is the word, um, and just let the status quo remain and pray to God and hope that we get very good leaders. Uh, that wouldn't change things for the better. Uh, there's the other part of, um, you know, the older, some members of the older generation getting that impression that the NSAS campaign, especially when it came to how leaderless the campaigns were, uh, especially when they sought, when they offered advice and said, you guys should be a leader, you guys should negotiate with the government. And they kept uh, and the members of the this guy just kept on saying no, we don't want any leaders, we don't want any leaders. Um, uh, as against the way that traditional protests had gone uh, in the country, uh, and so you see that generational divide in in terms of methodology and saying this is how we think that you should go about it, and young people saying no, this is how we prefer to go about it. Um, and you, you, you look at that and you're like, this generational divide might exist, but in the end, one thing that I've found is very, very, is like a common ground is that we all want Nigeria to be a better place. We all want a situation whereby South officials are not killing our children, even here I'm 55 or uh, uh, 72. I want to be at home and at peace knowing that, okay, nothing's going to happen to my child. Uh, um, because one official decides to go rogue, uh, funny enough, my, 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 my dad told me about a story of how SAS officials also harassed my younger brother and he came back home empty-handed uh, and they collected all the money that he had with, with him. You know, uh, and you, you see that because it's, it's the common ground. We all want in Nigeria where, where I mean, the average Nigerian citizen can go ahead peacefully uh, without any atom of fear uh, for the Nigerian police. So, 
this is the common ground that I think exists. Uh, and from that common ground, a lot of things can flow from there. So for me, in my opinion, the generational divide, uh, I, I, I mean, we can acknowledge it, but I, I don't think it's consequential in the grand scheme of things when it comes to how do we get to a Nigeria where uh, peace and justice reign. I mean, that's, those are the words from our national anthem. I think we can all agree on that, and there's no generational divide when it comes to that. We discussed some of the reasons why young people in Nigeria are particularly frustrated. Well, uh, I think there a lot of things really shaped that, uh, why it was more or less a youth-driven process. And then some older people did not really understood what was happening. Uh, one, you had social media playing a very important role in, in driving, uh, in sustaining and inspiring the process, uh, people governizing, people helping each other on social media, uh, getting support, medical support, uh, refreshment, and so many other things just to help sustain the process and help sustain the messaging and inspiring others to also come out and, and, and protest. And a lot of older Nigerians are not really keen on social media. In fact, a lot of older Nigerians will see social media as a problem, uh, as a problem. Uh, really they have lots of issues around social media and so really to them it was like okay this is part of the problems associated with social media and secondly the older nigerians also have knowledge of how uh the nigerian state can be really brutal against protesters they saw it as more of an issue around some of the ills they feel with social media was having it and then secondly uh they also had this hangover of the of how the Nigerian state usually suppress protests brutally, and they didn't want their kids to get uh, in the crossfire, and and so that hangover was one of the reasons why they kept telling some of the kids not to come out or why. They, so there was really lots of issues, and then some other people felt this was a protest targeted at the government, so, so some kind of anti-government process that were people who saw that from that lens. So there were different spectrum of people who really saw it from there. People, and some of them were because they had no really direct impact or, uh, in terms of police brutality, or they didn't really see it as a problem. And so it, they would vary, and so there was lots of people who had different opinions, but generally a good chunk of young Nigerians really were wanted to see the change in terms of how the police, uh, in terms of police reforms, uh, they really wanted a, a protest to lead to Nigerians having a much more uh, civil police that tend to work with communities and respect human rights. A lot of Nigerians were already isolated in the houses for months. Uh, we are social human beings and we like to socialize. So uh, when you it's like it's basically like blocking a pipe of water and allowing the water to aggregate. When you release that pipe, there's a there's a gushing of water that comes out after that. Um, and you see that not just in Nigeria but in other countries as well, uh, where social unrest, for example, has followed the easing of the lockdown protocol. So you combine the factors of uh, SARS officials consistently maiming, killing, extorting young Nigerians across the entire country. And that did not stop during the pandemic. Uh, um, and three, you combine that with the advocacy efforts to reform the police that has come over and over and over again. Uh, for years, almost three years, different reforms that still did not solve the problem. Uh, I mean, if you combine all these factors together, it will be, I, mean, I, I don't think anybody will be surprised at, at, at the reason why the agitations came the time that they came and that the agitations were as loud and as long as they can. So we are in an area where, um, what, in fact, what, 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 when the protest was ongoing, students were out of school. There was an ongoing strike by, the, by lecturers. Uh, there's massive unemployment and underemployment. People having jobs but not getting really the kind of pay wages they deserved. And then lots of people without jobs, lots of people without skills. Um, but what we saw is that a class of young Nigerians were coming out to really protest was a different type. 
Uh, it wasn't just normal people who were coming out to protest as usual, but you, you have this really lot of educated Nigerians, people who are presumably tagged within the middle class who were coming out uh, to really talk because they understood the importance of having economic security, having human security, and, and they were really betting, uh, they really wanted to see the change. Children of SARS operatives were trying to defend their parents during the protest, or maybe they were influencers, but they were like, they now, so they're trying to defend them. They now brought like pictures of their stations and their barracks where they live. Truly, it is an eyesore. I can't lie to you. Imagine police stations not having electricity, not having even as bad as a computer or generator or something. How are those guys supposed to do their work properly? Do you get so these are the these, these are the issues. These are the issues. You know, so like um if when and if the politicians finally realize that you know what, let's actually give these guys their money, let them spend it on actual police stuff, there will be a change. Do you get like we can't keep doing the same thing every time and expect a different result. Something has to give. The politicians need to stop embezzling money. <laughs> they really need to. I can't I can't overemphasize. If Nigerians are tired of saying this, but Nigerian politicians really need to need to stop embezzling their money because if you go through the statement of account, I'm an accountant, so if you go through uh, the account of Nigeria, you see how much they claim they are investing in police and Nigerian, the police force and the Nigerian army and navy and whatnot. This is quite a lot. It's quite a lot. When it comes to the issue of poverty, is to consider the, the poverty rate in the entire country. So, an example that I made on on one of the TV shows discussing the issue, right? What SARS is doing is corruption. It is, right? You use guns to intimidate people and extort money from them. Or you use your money, your uniform, and the authority that you have to intimidate people and extort money from them. Um, it is not just SARS that is doing that in the country. Teachers are doing that in the country. Teachers, Nigerian teachers, are using their positions and getting exam practices and selling them to students Right, so that they can get money. This happens. You go to the average, average government agency and you find out that the secretary there, whoever it is that needs to be able to pass your file to somebody who signs it, and you can get, is using that position and the authority that he has to get by, to get more money. You find out that in the National Assembly, there are lawmakers who are there who are using their positions to get money. So this is a, a, a this has an issue is a premium case of corruption. The problem here is that unlike every other person in the country who is looking to get by with this institutionalized corruption, SARS officials actually have guns. They don't, they don't just have guns, they also have the discretion to use their bullets or to use their ammunition any way that they please because they can then say they are pursuing an armed conflict or somebody that they suspect is... Uh, a criminal because of the discretion that they have. So, when you take all of these things in, in, in perspective, which is what I said earlier, that you don't take any issue in isolation of, of the societal context. When you take all of these things in perspective, you see that the SARS issue is a real problem to young Nigerians because the, the, the Nigerians, because these people are also Nigerian, the Nigerians who are in SARS are using their guns, right, to institutionalize corruption in their own way to get money. If teachers in the, in, in the country had guns as well, and they could use that gun, those guns to, to intimidate their students uh, so that they can get money, we'll be saying, and teachers, or we'll be saying, and um, whatever other institution that we have, uh, that's, the, that's using or maybe killing people or maiming people. Uh, so... We can't take this in out of context. We, Nigeria is the poverty capital of the world. We, I mean, there's a lot that we should be talking about, that, uh, which is why, again, I say we go back to leadership uh, um, of how do we get out of this mess. 
because there is no getting out. You know, when when poverty comes, a whole lot of other stuffs, other very very bad vices comes with it, and that's the problem that we're having. But Nigeria, why why are you killing us? We have the same blood. We speak the same language. You get we are we are suffering the same suffering under Buhari's government. We say pass through the same traffic. Why are you shooting us? Why are you trying to extort me? I'm also a hustler. I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to get how much? N fifty k a month or hundred k a month? Less than hundred dollars or less than a thousand dollars a month. I want. I want to kill me for what? Because I use an iPhone. An iPhone is less than less than one thousand dollars. So like, yeah, like it's just a change of attitude in every sector. The executive, the judiciary, the legislative, everybody needs to. We all need. We need. We need our own hands on deck. So, like, what's the key to change? Is definitely a change. That's heaven. Okay, let me, let me not try to narrow it down to SARS or whatever. Well, it's quite a complicated issue. Uh, I will not even call it poverty, but I'll call it. Uh, so it it could really be an issue about social inequality, where you have a young young guy with his car, his laptop, an iPhone, and then you have a police officer. Uh, who has probably spent years uh, on a job, very harsh uh, condition of values, and then he sees you and he feels like, how did you get this? Uh, you're a young person. It's not possible because when he sees himself, he, he after probably 10 to 15 years of service, he doesn't own a car and all that kind of stuff. And then he feels like, you must have committed a crime or he feels this really has this bad temperament towards you and this is probably because of the social inequality and all that and so generally and that's why we were one of stops that we understood is that um one of the problems behind SARS was that you have a unit tax for the job of going after some of the most violent people in the country in terms of crime criminal violent criminals and robbers kidnappers and all that and then you have this unit that is not fully prepared for this tax in the uk you have the aru i believe it's called aru uh which is kind of like a tactical unit and then when you find out that they have really the kind of training they need to do the role they are assigned uh, in the us you have the swat and we we see a lot of this in terms of the SWAT training and all that, the equipment they need. And so you really have a unit that is asked to do something that they are not mentally, physically, uh, and equipment-wise prepared for that job. And then that's a recipe for a disaster because it really, first, it has a mental uh, pressure on them that really gets them to begin to behave in a manner that is unusual. And, for them as law enforcement officers. Then secondly, they are not trained really for the role they are do, and then they get to use uh, techniques that are, are not either absolute, inefficient, brutal, and all that kind of stuff. And so, and so really it's a problem that we may say the, the SARS itself was by design By or by design, uh, it's I do not want to call them a victim because really the system played a role in making them what they what they turn out to be. Uh, but calling them a victim would be a disservice to the to the victims of the brutality. But we say they were an outcome of a system that was poor that that is that is poor. Uh, and then again, it goes also back to the history of the police itself. Uh, what really formed the Nigerian, what became the Nigerian police, uh, uh, which was really a tool for the colonial government in terms of its operation of dissent and also enforcement or protection of the uh, British uh, government then. And so really did some of those mindset really continued, uh, which means that over the years we did not really build a police that hadn't left the colonial mindset before. We also had the military regime that was really brutal uh, in terms of human rights and all that. And so did we also transfer, so which means that we may have transferred both the colonial government and the military era 
mindset into the police that we have now. And so, and this is part of the things that we talk about in terms of reforms, are building a police that works for the police, works for the people and for the police, a work, police that works for Nigeria, which means the police that do not have this code in their mindset uh, uh, around uh, being suppressing uh the people have this very disturbing relationship within them and the people uh, so these are all things that we, the, the the call for change was about discarding them and having police that works with the people uh there's been also been this mention in terms of black life matter about the united states police its origin and how that may have also in, uh, how that also keeps to influence how the pol uh, police uh, relationship with black communities and so it's a di dynamic a complicated relationship uh around uh the social makeup and the uh the psychology uh, uh of police of the police and also the communities they're supposed to police the reason why SARS try to extort nigerians is because they don't they're not well paid yeah they're not well paid uh during the SARS protests we saw their salary structure the guys you see on the road the guys that extort they earn how much did they earn? I think we saw less than 10,000 Naira a month. Yeah, less than 10,000 Naira a month. And then you give these guys weapons to fight against arm robbers. Arm robbers don't work during the day. Arm robbers don't work. Arm robbers will, arm robbers will carry iPhones. I mean, they don't. So you give them guns. They don't pay them well. They're under the sun for hours. Then they see a say nineteen year old boy driving his father's car and then they start to ask questions and then the guy says, Oh, it's not mine, it's for my dad. Okay, give us something. I don't have blah you know, like one team is to another. So if SARS watch uh say SARS watch, if SARS operatives get paid properly, like their um their what's it called? Yeah, so like they are well paid, yes, they're well paid. I mean probably if they're not greedy but probably if they're well taken care of like that's welfare you wouldn't see you, you wouldn't have issues like this and the same goes for the police also police and SARS are the same thing so like same thing because it's not even just SARS right now self so there's police there's uh LASMA there's FRSC like all these guys they're all trying to extort Nigerians but just as SARS have weapons, they get. I mean, it's no long that LASMA started extorting Nigerians because you're passing one way. You may never be passing the one way road, but because they're trying to extort you, they'll say you're passing one way. Or just one flimsy excuse or flimsy reason. But police, because they're armed, then it becomes funny because they could shoot you and then they'll say it's an accidental discharge and that's where it ends. And despite the attempts really suppress the protest as a, at its early stage, people did not back down. Uh, they came out uh, and then maintained pressure on the government. Um, and so there was other things. And no, this was just happening after the uh, a brief period after the lockdown. And so there were a lot, a lot of other issues. Economically, young Nigerians are not really doing well. Uh, so there are a lot of things that are working against young Nigerians within the system. Uh, there is disconnect between the Niger young Nigerians and the governing class. Uh, young Nigerians don't have lots of opportunities. They don't feel safe. Uh, they don't. So generally, it was not just yeah the police brutality was despair. However, there were lots of other issues around it, and which was really helping to keep the momentum up. And that's why even when the government began to just speak about uh, there will be reforms, people wanted to see the reforms because. There was huge trust deficit uh, and, uh, between the people and the government, and so they really wanted to see these reforms first before they before they agreed that okay things are going to finally change and that they will be with uh, finally they will Nigeria will be able to have a police force that works for both the police and the people. It is not a coincidence that the most terrorized countries in the world and Nigeria is top three. In that on that list, right? That the most terrorized countries in the world are, are also the most, or the poorest, they're also the poorest countries in the world. Uh, it's not a coincidence. And any society where poverty exists, people, people um, design or adapt to new rules of the game, 
right? If there was a standard basic, a, a basic standard of living rather, um, that the average Nigerian was was um, used to, that he's convenient, um, you have access to opportunities, uh, you are not uh, living in extreme poverty. Uh, maybe you're not like the richest or you're not like um, one of the rich guys, but if the average Nigerian is, can live without not living from hand to mouth, but can survive and can contribute productively to society, you find out that um, these are also the same Nigerians that will be employed in the police force and will be drafted to this unit. And uh, uh, we would not have these kind of issues that we have. So, like I always say when I, when I talk about these um, overall policy issues, you cannot take any issue in isolation uh, when, you're, when you're talking about um, making change or making people's lives better. Any policy that you or any reform that you're proposing will be done within the context of the kind of environment that all other institutions or systems of government currently operate. And Nigeria is the poverty capital of the world. So if you have a rogue unit like this, like the SARS unit, where people within the police force know that once you get into this unit, you become immediately feared by the citizen, by the citizen, uh, and that gives you the leverage to be able to demand bribes or extort people, you find out that the practice of people paying to be drafted into SARS, which is something that has been recorded and has been has been uh, um, that people or officers, even of police officers, have, have mentioned, right? This issue becomes the norm. Because now, that is the opportunity for the average police officer to get by. Now, so, in the end, right, not just poverty in terms of uh, uh, the police officers not getting paid, or, I mean, the average police officer, whether you're SAS or whether you're not, doesn't get paid. And the ones who get paid, uh, um, get paid a very, very paltry sum of money, whether you are in SARS or not. There, there is no country in the world that has a moral superiority over the other. Um, uh, and if we think, and this is my opinion as a private citizen, to be honest, if we think that this is the way that we would go, and then reform will happen, then we don't know what we don't know what size of change be, right? There is there are rules of the game in any society. If you break, if you if you choose to drive when the traffic light is still red you would get home and find a receipt or an invoice from the traffic regulation um, agency, right, saying that you've broken a red light and you are going to pay a fine of 30 pounds. If you are overspeeding at 15 miles per hour above the speed limit, you are going to pay 20 pounds. If it's 30 miles per hour, it doubles. That is the rule of the game. If everybody knows that and that system works, right, you can be sure that nobody or at least a very, very minute population of the people will be breaking red lights. In a country where the rule of the game is when you see a red light and you look left and right and you cannot see a car, you drive and nothing happens, that is the rule of the game. I don't care if tomorrow the United States of America or maybe Venezuela or maybe any other country, any other country in the world says that we're now going to be denying visa bans or visa for people who are breaking red lights. As far as the rule of the game remains that nothing is going to happen when you drive right, you look right and you look left. No car is coming, the traffic light is red and you drive. Nothing is going to happen to you. Then let them ban the entire country <laughs> from coming to their country that will still continue. So we need to be able to understand societal change within this context. It's a good um, um, initiative by all these other countries that, again, prove moral superiority in one way or the other um, um, to say that we're going to enforce these reforms. But that's, that's imposing reforms. You don't change a, a society or you don't change a culture 
by imposing rules that people have not come together to agree that this is the best way to move our society forward. After the SARS protests, I'm just wondering what the mood is um, at the moment, because obviously there was that time where they said that they were going to dissolve SARS and that um, it would be no longer. So I'm just wondering how people have felt since then, because obviously they've probably just dressed up in a different uniform, isn't it? I, I myself, sometimes I just want to delete the account because I'm like, what the f-? Like, I'm like, what's, what's even happening? Like, there's no, there's nothing, nothing has changed. Do you get like, because this year alone, like, they are now like bold. Okay, I'm stable, but they're like still operating. This one is not even, I'm not even capping or anything. I'm not even lying or anything. Like, they are still out there. They are still extorting boys. They are still profiling men. They are still doing the things they've been doing. No deaths yet. Oh, what am I even saying? There's, a, there's been a death already. Yes, there's been a death already in um, what state? I'm trying to remember. In the southeast. What? You are less than a dollar. The guy didn't have the the it was a uh, a transporter a, a a camera a tricycle driver yes a tri- tricycle driver it was extracted to extort him of money he didn't have next thing police chase um, reaches and then he gets killed in the process this is the reason why we've been protesting and this is the reason why I greeted this people people do not have to die for stupid reasons do you get like. So yes, man, people have every right to be pessimistic that there must be a change. However, we have a voice. We have we have a voice. We've, we've definitely taken blown this up. So like international bodies or eyes or governments or whatever are now like looking at Nigeria like, okay, what's up? How are you guys going to handle this? That's to the government. How are they going to handle this? And hopefully there'll be help or there'll be some, I don't know, some international I really don't know, but I just wish like these guys could go to jail or something. That's the good people that are supposed to take charge or control of the situation. Get because it's ridiculous. I can't even. It's ridiculous to be very honest. You know, you know how you know how a ripple effect works. The very first uh, drop of water that now makes that ripple effect. I like I like to, I like to think I am that first drop of water. Get because I mean without the without the massive awareness i was doing i'm like yeah and also like i have to also say my page grew from because i started from zero followers to the new account you will check my bio you see i started october 20 october 2020 sorry and then how many months weeks grew to about twenty thousand followers 30k followers like people really followed and like wanted to know what's up so yeah that's how people really wanted to identify with it yeah the size has been dissolved a new special weapons and uh, new special weapons and tactics uh, unit was created, and then those SAS members are supposed to have gone for evaluation and then moved to other units. Uh, we, we have not seen the government really bring out evidence to show okay these are the former SAS officers across the country. Uh, this is what they are going through now. They're going to, for instance, let's see psychological evaluation or therapy or those kind of stuff ever to understand where the the their current mind uh, state of mind is and uh, where they should be going to next and also in case of involvement their involvement in uh, any form of human rights violation and so there's generally some skepticism around the government uh handling of the sites issue and so most nigerians are just like okay uh they still have their hangover. They still have the, the they still concerned about uh, police brutality, and we still keep seeing posts around it. But really, uh, people are not likely to come out to protest. Uh, but really, this is not something that we can say it's a sure one. Uh, a lot of things can happen between now, tomorrow, and whatever. Because in fact, the NSAS protest was not like something that was really planned. Uh, it happened organic, organic. Uh, it was organic in terms of how people just okay uh, started from one 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 group in Lagos, and all of a sudden, 
uh, replicated across the country and, and other parts of the world. And so people are really people really want to see the changes uh, which we have not really seen uh, in terms of reforms of the entire police force, uh, improvement of police welfare, police tactics, police techniques. Uh, so there are a lot of things that, in fact, that's why when even the the SWAT was rolled out and people were people were really saying uh, there was some kind of backlash around uh, what's the SARS SWAT and all that. And so people, like earlier mentioned, there's a huge trust deficit between the people and the government, and this is something that the government really needs to work on, and uh, only action can really heal that, uh, heal that gap between the people, and so people want to see really improvement in police behavior, improvement in police techniques and tactics, uh, improvement in police welfare, uh, because really as people were talking about police brutality, we're also asking that pay the police more. Uh, but a lot of people, including folks like myself, feel like it's not just generally about improving police welfare that solves the problem. We also need to improve police recruiting. What kind of people are you recruiting? What kind of training are we giving police officers? And then generally, what are the working conditions of police officers? Then you can talk about the allowances. And this advocacy around police reform, first of all, started to um, see if that unit could be reformed. So you had a lot of, uh, you had a lot of um, uh, advocacy activity from different organizations. Um, most prominent is SIAF and uh, one other organization called Citizens Gavel. Yeah, um, on the advocacy that they had for for police reform for years. So I'm sure if you go on the internet now, you'll find different different um, news clippings of the attempt to reform SARS uh, in different years uh, and sometimes ban them, sometimes rename them. At some point, they were renamed to federal SARS uh, and in an attempt to just, you know, curb that system of extorting young Nigerians or killing young Nigerians for money. Or and these these advocacy measures were not enough, were too little, um, sometimes too late. Uh, and you know, it got to a point where young Nigerians uh, then decided and said enough was enough. Um, you could explain that away as well with uh, what what we saw on uh, in different what we see in different countries around the world, especially against the backdrop of the pandemic. People who have been in, the, in their homes and have been locked down for, for months, uh, then coming out to, you know, there's a lot of agitation that you see there. Uh, combined with all the uh, efforts, uh, uh, the, the efforts that were not enough, like, I'm looking for a word, but I can't find it. They were just like insufficient efforts, I think that's a word. Insufficient efforts by advocacy organizations to reform the police. Uh, and you combine that with the consistent, uh, almost non-stop ex- On the next episode uh, of Black Insight, find out uh, what my guests believe is the key to change in Nigeria. All over the country. Um, maybe more in the southern part of the country, you know. Uh, and then it's, it's not surprising that we had that kind of response or agitation by young Nigerians to say enough was enough. Um, um, we cannot continue to be in a country where the government has no plan for us and yet what you see is representatives of the, of the government now killing us uh, for simply trying to survive. Um, so for me, I mean, that's that's where I see things coming from all the way from when uh, SARS was established to to solve a problem, then they becoming that problem, and then you have some advocacy trying to solve that, and that was insufficient, and then you had the agitation that we had. Um, uh, I mean, for me, that's like a general overview of what's happened so far. The monies that were raised um, uh, to to support people who were protesting, provide them food uh, and drinks, and um, healthcare. Uh, and the money that was eventually used for bailouts for people who were arrested, 
these were home monies that were that were donated by Nigerians and uh, maybe some other people uh, outside the country who are not Nigerians. Nigerians in diaspora definitely contributed a lot, a lot, a whole lot um, in amplifying what was happening. Uh, at some point, the Nigerian banks or the bank accounts for um, the Feminist Coalition, for example, who was advocating the donation, was blocked. And they tweeted out a link for Bitcoin. Uh, Jack of Twitter retweeted that, and you saw a lot of people uh, continuing the donations and making resources available to prosecute the campaign. These conversations happened several months ago. Since then, more injustice has happened in Nigeria. Most recently, there is the closure of the courts. The ongoing industrial action by JUSUN and the Parliamentary Staff Association of Nigeria has been going on for weeks. Since April the 6th, they have been striking for the judiciary's financial freedom from the executive, particularly at state level where the state governors only fund the two other arms of government as they please. When citizens are arrested by the Nigerian police, the first 24 hours are very important. Section 35 of Nigeria's 1999 constitution states that the police may not detain any suspects for longer than 48 hours without a court order. During the SARS protests, this law ensured that hundreds of peaceful protesters could be released. Today, thousands of people are awaiting trial. That means that many people could be waiting justice. And in the meantime, corrupt police officers can arrest people for even non-offences or offences that do not exist and hold them in jail indefinitely under the guise of awaiting trial. It's very clear that a lot needs to change. On the next episode of Black Insight, find out what my guests believe is the key to change in Nigeria.